Thanks everyone for being here. Uh, we're going to move fast. Uh, this is an exciting topic though. And we can often overlook the events of the Jewish wars from about AD 66 to AD 70 because there aren't specific Christian heroes involved. As Christians, we're very aware of the persecutions that happened in the Apostolic Age. We know about Nero. We know about the Colosseums. Um, we know about the initial wave of persecution that actually happened from the Jewish leaders towards the early Christians. But we miss the events of AD 70 for a couple reasons. One, like I said, they're called the Jewish wars, not the Christian wars. These were wars that were the Romans versus the Jews. And also because it happens just off stage from our Bibles. But think about the date again, AD 70. AD 70 is so close to the events in Scripture. And in fact, the apostles, many of them are still living at that time. The first generation of Christians is still very much around and experiencing these things. There's a, um, there's a quote I came across recently by a, a Polish philosopher. He says this, We learn history not in order to know how to behave or how to succeed, but to know who we are. And that is particularly true with the events of AD 70. Um, I was, my family was over at Court Tangeman's house the other day, and one of his children had just shot a deer. And he described it like this, where the deer was shot, and it was a good shot, but then the deer kept running for a long time. And I think that probably happens a lot. I've never been deer hunting, but I hear these stories a lot, that the deer keeps running. And Court said that actually a deer can be dead for any technical reason at all, but its legs are just still moving. You have to track it down. All right. So, are there markers? I got a marker. All right. So, with the, with the inauguration of the new administration of the covenant with Jesus Christ, the old Mosaic system, the temple, received a fatal shot to its heart. All right, so in, in uh, so John 2, um, what does Jesus say? I will destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. All right, so in A.D., I'm going to say 33, the temple was destroyed from a spiritual and theological perspective. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the Mosaic system of sacrifices, the method of atoning for our sin to God was done away with. The shot happened. The deer was hit. All right? But the deer kept running. It's bleeding out. It's stumbling through the brush. And then it definitively ends in A.D. 70. All right, well, let's get the facts right about what actually was happening in A.D. 70. Everything we know, historians know, about the events, 90% of what they know, comes from this guy, Josephus. So if you, a couple of things to take away from today. Just know the name Josephus. Josephus wrote, this is actually the essential writings, because the full writings of Josephus are like this big. But this is just a little bit of it. Um, Josephus was born in A.D. 36. All right? And he dies in A.D. 100. And he describes the Jewish wars. All right? So first of all, it started out with some riots that happened in A.D. 66. 
Now, Daniel mentioned the events uh, that have happened this last week with Palestine and Israel. Um, and I want to actually, so not in, at all, at all getting into the politics, the geopolitical situation there, or I don't know very much about it, but just um, the sort of the, the, com the military situation, I think was actually somewhat similar in AD 66 as it is now, but with the, with the roles reversed. Again, not from a moral perspective or a justice perspective at all, but the sense in which Palestine is this pretty beleaguered, really mad, really upset people who have a lot of, a lot of beef with, uh, with Israel, but they have no chance of actually winning. That was kind of the situation with the Jews in AD 66 via, via Rome, all right? The Jews are very frustrated, but they have no shot of winning. Uh, and Josephus actually positions himself sort of as an intermediary between the Jews and Rome. At some point during the war, so he's actually an eyewitness to the war, he's becoming a liaison between Rome, between the Jews, trying to calm everybody down. Um, and, but the, the Jews will not be calmed down. And the, the, the radical faction within, within Jerusalem is carrying on, all right? So there's this riots that start out in AD 66. Then the Romans come down um, and des destroy everything. This is the era where we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. Then this, so that happens for about three years. Then the siege of Jerusalem happens in, in AD 70, and that's for five months. The walls are actually breached. And the murder, the killing, the destruction, the famine is really just unspeakable. So Josephus um, talks a lot about that. And I'll read a section uh, from that here. Actually, I may have written this one down. Now, conquerors of the city wall, and I remember Josephus is actually here for this. Now, conquerors of the city wall, the Romans planted their standards on the towers in jubilation over their victory, pouring into the streets. They massacred everyone they found, burning houses with all who had taken shelter in them. So great was the slaughter that in many places the flames were put out by streams of blood. Hyperbolic, but descriptive. Toward evening the butchery ceased, but all night the fires spread. And when dawn broke, all Jerusalem was in flames. This is how he ends the book. Thus Jerusalem was taken in the second year of Vespasian's reign. It had been captured five times before and was not for the second time destroyed. Shishak, king of Egypt, Antiochus, Pompey, and Associus with Herod had taken the city but preserved it. Before then it had been laced, laid waste by the king of Babylon. 1,486 years and six months from its foundation. Its original, so this is, this is not in your Bibles, Josephus writes this part, but this is how he ends the book. So he's talking, he talks about all of the history of, of Jerusalem, how many times it had been captured, it had been destroyed once before, then 1,486 years and six months from its foundation. He says this, its original founder was a prince of Canaan, called Melchizedek, or righteous king, for such indeed he was. He was the first priest of God and the first to build the temple. So ended the siege of Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? Now, we don't, 
uh, our Bibles don't record that Melchizedek, the historical figure from our Bibles, um, founded Jerusalem. But from, from Hebrew, look at the book of Hebrews, we know Melchizedek is this incredibly important figure. And so for Josephus to say basically that it's true found, the true founder and prince of Canaan was Melchizedek, and he was the first priest of God and the first to build the temple. And as Christians, we know Christ as sort of a, 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 a or Melchizedek as a type of Christ. I thought it was a really sort of dramatic thing. So the temple is destroyed actually on the very same day of the year as the temple was destroyed by Babylon. Uh, and uh, the Jews uh, to this day refer to this date as the, t- the Tisha B'Av, which is basically like the sad day. It's the saddest day of the whole, uh, the whole calendar they have. Uh, so the same day as the first destruction of the temple, the second one is destroyed as well. Uh, in AD 132, there is one more uprising that happens. Um, Hadrian at this point is the, is the emperor of Rome. Um, there's a figure named Bar Kokhba who arises, and he, he's sort of a messianic figure. Um, and at this point, sort of the Christians and the Jews had sort of intermingled some. But because of the messianic pretensions of this figure, Bar Kokhba, the Christians finally and sort of forever um, parted ways with, with, you know, from the synagogue system or anything like that. So again, let's think about who was involved. Nero dies in AD 68. Nero is a very famous figure, particularly for Christians. So AD 68, he dies in the middle of the Jewish wars. The Flavian dynasty comes over. So we have Titus. Who uh, the Flavian dynasty is 69 A.D. to 96 A.D. This is when the Colosseum in Rome is built. Um, again, I mentioned Josephus. He's a really important uh, person for all of us to know. He was a Jew, but he he writes about um, a lot of important things. All right. So those are the facts. That's the facts. What's happened here um, is 9:13. So I'm going to move fast. This is caffeinated history. Why does, how should we think about these things? All right, how many prophecies made in the Bible are fulfilled within the Bible? A lot, right? So let's think about this. We got, we got prophecies uh, in the Bible um, that are fulfilled in the Bible. So this is where the Bible ends. All right, then we have prophecies so this happens all the time, right? Prophecies are made in the Bible and then fulfilled in the Bible. Then we have prophecies that are made in the Bible that haven't yet been fulfilled. We can think about this as like the, 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 the eschatology, the second coming, all of these things. So the Bible is full of prophecies about the Lord returning, but they haven't happened yet. All right, now here's the hard question. Someone named me a prophecy that was made in the Bible. This is where we live, by the way. This is where we live, all right? A prophecy that was made in the Bible that has already happened, but outside of the Bible time. Okay, so would you say, so is that, so that wars and rumors of wars, that's pretty, it's pretty broad and vague, so certainly that has happened. And that gets in the question, too, of what are the last days? We don't have to get into that too much, but I would say that a prophecy made, the, most, most, the biggest example of a prophecy made in the Bible that has actually occurred is what we're talking about right now, the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple is all over our Bibles. I have a sheet here, um, which uh, 
which I'm happy to, to send to you, that um, you know, particularly think about the prophecies that, that, that Matthew made in Matthew 24. So the Olivet Discourse is full, is full of, of, um, of prophecies, both about the destruction of the temple, but also about the end times here together. And there's a, this is something that our pastors have, have described a lot when we're in, the, when we're in prophetic literature where there's a sort of flattening that happens. And I think the, the, the analogy that gets made is think about when you're driving toward the mountains and you're on, you know, you're on 40 going west and you see, you see the mountain range. And from your perspective, the mountain range all looks basically the same. But when you get up close to the mountain range, you realize, okay, well, here's some set of mountains. And then 20 miles past that is another set of mountains. But when you're 100 miles away, all it all looks sort of the same. That's how prophecies oftentimes work in the Bible. So if you read the Olivet Discourse, it can sometimes seem like it's all just one flat mountain, but when you get up close, you realize, okay, a lot of this had to do with AD 70, the destruction of the temple, and a lot of it had to do with the end times. Um, but I want us to think too, um, so the AD 70 fits in to the theological meaning of the new administration of the covenant. When I say the new administration of the covenant, there's one covenant. God made a covenant with Adam, and it was reaffirmed at different times, but there's different administrations. Think about a presidency. It's one constitution, but different presidents have administrations, all right? So there's the administration that happened at different points in redemptive history, but this was the most dramatic transfer of power from one administration to another. So A.D. fits into the theological meaning of the new administration of the covenant, and it, but it also fits into the practical warnings of judgment that fill the New Testament. All right, so the goal here is not to minimize in any way the dramatic, glorious, incomprehensible splendor that will happen when the Lord returns with his angels to judge the living and the dead, not at all taking away from any of that, but what I do want us to do is think about how sort of the cataclysmic events from AD 66 culminating in AD 70 fit in to the judgments and prophecies that Jesus and the apostles were warning people against. So I want us to really think about just what a big deal that first generation or so from basically um, from the annunciation, the angel's annunciation to Mary that she would um, that the, the Messiah would, she would be born to her to the destruction of the temple. We are already kind of in the last days, in a sense, to, to use um, uh, Clayton's term, all right? So we want to also strengthen our faith and confidence in Jesus' words and the historical reality of our true and living faith. Um, so that's, that's so three goals, really, today. One is just get the facts out there to read. Who is Josephus? What was involved, the Jewish wars, big deal, lots of destructions. The second point, though, is that re whenever there's a last days sort of mentioning in your New Testament, whenever there's warnings of destruction or persecution, even sort of predictions about astronomical events happening, whenever the apostles say, um, you know, when they say, you know, when James says, what does James say? James says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Uh, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
Now, obviously, there's the coming of the Lord that's at hand here, but there was also a very real coming of the Lord that happened when the, when the old administration was done away with. J.C. Ryle has a sermon. I love J.C. Ryle. And he talks about the, all these, um, the dramatic events that accompanied Moses on Sinai, thunder, lightning, all those things happening. He said it, it, it pleased God to make the destruction of that administration as dramatic as its institution was. So as we think about Sinai, what was, what was built on Sinai was destroyed with sort of equal dramatic things. And again, AD 70, that's when it happened, all those dramatic things. Um, both the inauguration, Christ, and the resignation, the old temple system, were equally necessary. The destruction... Um, Christ will have no rival. Christ is our temple. For Christ to be glorified totally required the humiliation of the old order. All right. Um, right. I mean, I'm just going to go through real quick. So again, when we're reading our New Testaments, thinking about the prophecies, you can think about those prophecies happening with basically uh, in two ways. One is the destruction that is being, that is being prophesied, and two, the glory that is going to be, to be happening. Again, and I want us to think about the entire time period from the Annunciation to Mary to AD 70 as part of both a destruction and a glory that was going on. We have um, the persecution and preservation of Christians. Remember the slaughter of the innocents that's happening early on in the Gospels. We have in, the, in, the, in Revelation the letters to those churches of Asia constantly to endure, and those who will um, who will uh, uh, sort of be faithful to the end will be preserved. I do want us to be aware, though, that the Jewish wars were primarily a destruction of Jews. I, I think the Christians were clearly caught up in those wars because they were living in Jerusalem. But think about the warnings, again, in the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus says, if you're up on the rooftops, head to the mountains. I pity the pregnant woman, uh, the, the young children. You just need to get out of this and flee. Those warnings are for, uh, are for the, the Christian survival. He's not saying that that's persecution necessarily or that it's, it's judgment on them. He's basically saying there's a lot of bad stuff that's getting ready to happen, so, so get ready for that. Um, now, obviously, the Christians were persecuted by Nero. They would be persecuted again later on. But these, these four years that we're talking about here, the Jewish wars, are primarily a Roman and Jewish thing. But there are plenty of warnings about judgment that are happening um, that, uh, that Jesus gives on the Jews themselves, and this definitely should be seen as, as, as part of their, their judgment. Also, don't forget about um, uh, Pompeii, the, the volcano that went off almost uh, nine years after the destruction of the temple. So there's an article in um, the Biblical Archaeological Review, which is it's not a scholarly journal, but it's a secular kind of magazine, which I enjoy reading sometimes. And here's an article recently from March 31st, The Destruction of Pompeii, God's Revenge. And so they went through kind of looking at contemporary accounts of like how are Christians interpreting Pompeii, which is this very sort of like the Hollywood of the time. And there was inscriptions, there's evidence actually that Christians were very much seeing this as like a Sodom and Gomorrah kind of moment. So again, volcanoes erupting, wars and rumors and war, there's a lot of judgment going on. 
uh, more destruction that's prophesied than was happening. Obviously, the temple we just talked about, then we have the final judgment. Think about the glory that is happening during this time. Our New Testaments are just bursting forth with angelic activity. We have the Annunciation, we have the birth, the presentation of the Christ child at the temple where Simeon sort of gives glory to God. We have the baptism of Jesus where the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends. We have statements from the Father that uh, he is my beloved son. We have all the miracles that are happening. We have the transfiguration. So here's, here's something that's interesting. I'm going to read, if, if you have your Bibles, turn to it. Matthew 16, 27. And we're just going to plow right on into chapter 17. Remember, the chapter breaks can be, can sometimes be, um, cannot be, sometimes are not our friends. This is a situation where the chapter break is not our friends. 1627, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. So when we read that, and this is true, by the way, we often just jump right to here, the eschatology, the second coming. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. It's true. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Also, we're still in the judgment. Okay, so far, so good. All right. When I would read this next part as um, uh, when I was younger, it would, it would actually shake my faith a little bit because then he says this. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, if you are only thinking about that first verse in terms of the second coming, when you get to that verse, you think, well, well he didn't come. The angels didn't come, and he didn't come in the glory of his Father, and he didn't judge everybody. Therefore, Jesus was wrong. He missed it. Or the recorders of the gospel were wrong, or the apostolic witness was wrong. All right? Let's keep reading, though. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Well, that sounds like the Son of Man coming with his angels in the glory of his Father, right? Now, again, he's going to come again. I'm not taking away anything from the second coming, but I do want to bring in to what has been fulfilled just the glory that Jesus Christ on earth actually was. And let's think about the Son of Man for a minute. The Son of Man is, is used in Daniel um, and two, and one like a son of man, he came in the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. That's Daniel. Well, what do we see in Acts, um, in, uh, in Acts 7? Why do you think they stoned Stephen? Not because he gave a history lesson on the temple necessarily, but because Stephen, chapter 7, uh, verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw, Present tense, not saw a vision of the future, but saw, present tense, the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen said, behold, I see, present tense, the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Again, um, we have like, in that, that present rulership, the Son of Man is not just going to be handed over ultimately it will be in a final um, sort of culminating way, but it's also happening now. It already happened. 
Okay? We should be, our faith should be encouraged by this. We should read our Bibles better because of that. Think about Pentecost. All right? Joel, uh, um, Peter quotes uh, uh, Joel. He says, In the last days, Clayton's point, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He goes on, he goes, we know, this is the familiar part. This is Pentecost. Great. Joel 2 has happened. Peter doesn't just stop when he talks about the spirit falling and prophecy happening. Peter goes on and continues quoting the rest of that Joel section. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, certainly what's happening there is that, is that telescoping, that flattening of the mountain ranges. So he's going from Pentecost is happening, Joel 2 is happening, and yet also there's sort of the, 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 um, you know, the, the moon will turn to blood and all that. But he's sort of fearlessly, confidently laying claim of those eschatological promises of the Old Testament and saying, no, not just here, but also here. All right, there was a real comfort in, in that. All right, um, so that is, um, so that's one thing we want to get done. All right, so we have what the, the actual facts. Remember the old dragnet show when the, the detective would come in and say, just the, the, man, the woman would be crying, crying. It was a murder. They stole my jewelry. He says, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. All right, so what are just the facts? Just the facts are AD 66, the war starts. AD 70, the war ends, the temple is destroyed, and Josephus is really important. Got that? Okay, second part is how we read our Bibles. The prophecies of the Bibles, the warnings um, of the apostolic age are both here and they're here. The, here's a, in the law, we have the maxims that help us interpret the law. Here's, here's a, I, we could also have maxims that help us interpret Scripture. One maxim that I have is that the apostles weren't dummies. All right. So when the apostles say things like the last days are at hand, we should assume that they actually knew what they were talking about and that the last days were at hand and the last days will come again. All right. What how do we make then? Uh, here's the last thing I want to talk about. Understanding Judaism with AD 70 in mind. Here's another way in which my faith has sometimes been shaken in the past. I want to think about Mormonism for a minute. <clears throat> um, Christianity ex existed for, you know, in its current administration of the covenants, has existed for 2,000 years, or 1,840-some years. And then a, um, a crook uh, named uh, you know, Joseph Smith comes along, and he invents a new book, and they, and they, they combine it with, with, with the true Bible, and there's a religion that goes on. And we can look at them, and we think, those poor suckers, you know, they, just, they, they, they made this thing up, they're deluded. Uh, but we could think, well, is it just, is it just, is this a, as a matter of time? What happens if Mormonism survives for 1,800 years? At some point, the fact that it's just new stops being a reason why um, it was wrong. And I could think, well, to the Jews of the first centuries, did they think of Christianity as just like Mormonism? Like we had a new sacred book and we were this weird offshoot? And, and that, could sometimes, that could sometimes shake my confidence. You could be in a situation where here is, you know, here is redemptive history. Here's the line, all right, from, from Adam all the way up. And then Christianity 
does this, and, and Judaism continues like that. And that, that, could, that could shake your faith a little bit, where you think, well, maybe the Jews, maybe they're still right. Maybe, is it really so bad that they just didn't get like the software update on their religion? Like, but that's not how we should look at it. In AD 70, a new religion was created, all right? This is Adam here. This is the second coming of Christ here. Christianity is right here. It's all one road. There's no turnoff. There's no exit ramp that the apostles took, that Jesus took. The exit ramp, this is A.D. 70, happened with the Jews. They went here, the temple was destroyed, and they say, well, because we reject Christ and we hate the Romans, we're going to do this. We're going to create a new religion called rabbinical Judaism. And rabbinical Judaism is what, the, what Jews have been practicing for, for 2,000 years now. But it's not the faith of Abraham. It's not the Mosaic law. It's a new religion. Christianity is an older religion than Judaism. Here's a book I, that I got at the library to prepare for today called The History of Judaism. Here's how they split up the history of Judaism. Part 1, 2000 BCE to 70 CE, or 80. All right, then the rest of it is basically 70 AD till now. Why do they do that? Well, it makes, of course they would do that because it's two separate religions. Now, um, uh, all right, so real quickly, what is rabbinical Judaism? Rabbinical Judaism is basically a holdover of fa the Pharisees. So we had this in the, in the New Testament period, we had like the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Zealots, the Essenes, who aren't really mentioned by name, but they're kind of like this monastic community. John the Baptist was probably an Essene. Coming out of the destruction of the temple and the, and the Jewish wars, basically there's just one game in town, and that is the Pharisees. Fer the, 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 the Pharisees basically became the rabbinical, um, basically invented the, the, the rabbinical period. One of the reasons for that was there was something called the Oral Torah, where they believed that uh, the law was given to Moses, and he wrote it down. But then there was also like this oral part that was passed on uh, in traditions. And the Sadducees didn't, it, didn't adhere to that. The other sects of Judaism didn't adhere to that. But the Pharisees said, no, there's this oral Torah. And after AD 70, when the temple was, was destroyed, they wrote that oral Talmud down, I mean the oral Torah down, and called it the, the Talmud. Um, and so that be, kind of became, again, a second scripture to them. Um, again, one more evidence that what they're doing is not following their father Abraham, but they're following, they've invented this new thing. Um, all right, prayer replaces sacrifices. Uh, they have no reason for doing that. They just think that that's a good idea, the best they can do. And rabbis took the place of priests. Um, I was, we'll, we'll end by, by thinking about how much God cares about the temple situation. Um, it, was a really important, it was really important that God destroy the temple, and it has remained important, I believe, that the temple has never been rebuilt. Um, the, uh, um, uh, how do I describe this well? I think at this, the, um, the Jewish nation, the, or Israel, is a very successful nation. They've done very well. Um, they're wealthy. They're smart, they're intelligent, they're hardworking, all these really admirable qualities. 
But the one thing that many of them, I suspect, would love more than anything would be, is being denied them because the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim mosque, sits at the site of the temple. Do you think that that's by, so the, Muslim, the, so the Dome of the Rock was built in like six, 636, something like that. That has been a way, well, um, you know, God often uses uh, you know, wicked men to, to accomplish his, his ends. I feel like the, 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 the Dome of the Rock has been basically the one way that has kept the temple from ever being rebuilt. Um, and to this day, I mean, the, Jerusalem is controlled by, by Israel, the nation, by practicing Jews, and there is no place more sacred to them than the Temple Mount, and yet they can't do anything about it. And I, I believe it's because God's prohibiting them from doing anything about it by having that mosque be there. Um, of course, um, you know, enough, I mean, there, there, you know, the, 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 the sin of anti-Semitism needs no um, explanation, but it deserves to be stated. Uh, read Romans 11. Uh, Paul had great affection for his people. Um, you know, we believe that, or I believe that it, it, in, the, in the end times, that there will be a great revival among sort of ethnic Israel. I believe that, that there's a promise to there. And so there's really no place for, for anti-Semitism in the Christian imagination. Um, uh, and yet at the same time, while there's sort of a family affection that we have for them, um, we should never be jealous of them. Um, be, they, actually, Paul says that they should be jealous of us. We should cause them to, to envy us. Uh, and we should be confident that, in fact, we serve not just a, a, a religion. Uh, we worship a 2,000-year-old religion, but, in fact, we, we, we worship in the manner that God, the true God, has proscribed to us uh, from the very first days of creation. All right. Any questions? So three things. The dates, just the facts. Remember Josephus? Um, is fat, for all you like homeschool moms and dads, Josephus is great to go to the primary sources. When you read a history book like this and you're covering this period, this guy is basically just repackaging this guy. It's very readable. Um, it's fascinating. Oh, I remember what I was going to do. One more thing. So here, uh, here's Josephus. He's talking about um, the... Now, the Jews should have known something bad was going to happen. All right? So this is Josephus. Before the siege, portents had appeared, foretelling impending devastation. But the Jews had disregarded these warnings. I remember thinking about all the astronomical events that are being prophesied in the New Testament. But, but, they're, but they happened, all right? They happened during this period. Josephus, no lover of Christianity, records them. A star... And he was an eyewitness to this, all right? He was here. A star resembling a sword hung over the city, and also a comet which lasted a year. And just before the revolt, when the people were coming together for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a bright light shone around the altar during the night and brightened the sanctuary for half an hour. And he describes a lot more just weird things that happened. I believe confirmation that the prophecies of Jesus and the Olivet Discourse uh, were, were partially fulfilled at the destruction of the temple and that the warnings of the apostolic age were uh, relevant to that generation in a, in a unique way while continuing to be relevant to us in an ultimate way. Um, so that was, I asked for questions and then I'm not going to let you ask them. <laughs> but I will pray for us. <coughs> Father, thank you that we serve 
an eternal God, that we do not rely on new revelation or, or new ideas from men, but we serve, um, we worship in an ancient way and more importantly, in a true way. Thank you that no temple is necessary anymore, no sacrifices are necessary anymore because of your son, Jesus Christ, who is our temple. May this morning, as your people gather, may our bodies also be temples to your Holy Spirit. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. And may you accept our worship in Christ Jesus. Amen.